Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. We have a call, Chief. Somebody's bleeding. 44th and 8th. Saving someone's life is like falling in love. You wonder if you become immortal, as if you've saved your own life as well. But taking credit when things go right doesn't work the other way. You take things way too seriously, Frank. Look like you aged about 10 years since I rode with you last. Come on, Frank. There's blood spilling in the streets. Let's go have some fun. It was the neighborhood I grew up in and where I had worked most as a paramedic. And it held more ghosts per square foot than any other. Why did you kill me, Frank? I didn't kill you. No, you didn't, Frank, and thank you, but there's still a couple hours left on our shift. You've seen the ghosts. You ever notice people who see things are always crazy? You swore that you'd fire me if I came in later, and you swore it before. Nobody gets fired, so look at me. Everyone at that hospital is crazy! <laughs> That's ridiculous. Ah! Don't make me take off my sunglasses. Come on, Frank! Get with the program! Yeah! You feeling better, Frank? I think the worst is over. Oh, no. It can always get worse. <laughs> Nicholas Cage. <laughs> help others and you help yourself is my motto. I understood how crazy it was to think this way. Then something good will happen. Everything just glows. Don't try. Frank! Frank! Huh? Are you okay? I've never felt better in my life. How are you? I'm good. Good. You can't put Directed by Martin Scorsese. Bringing out the dead. Uh, ben, uh, towards the end of the last episode, I sort of set this up as um, like the, I guess one of the probably, uh, you know, there's probably a few in his filmography since Scorsese uh, puts out quite a bit of content, a regular working filmmaker. But I have always seen this as 
one of the sort of bastard stepchildren in his filmography as far as the uh, the reception to to this. And I don't remember in 1999 that it got a lot of uh, critical praise or a particular push for this. But as I said uh, towards the end of the last episode, maybe that's based on the strength of this year. And in particular, this this month of October, that there were so many... Uh, critically lauded films that this one just uh, you know got lost in the shuffle, but uh, maybe I'm wrong on that. What is what is your uh, recollection or perception the, of this? Yeah, so I, I've, I've always seen this as sort of a, a dividing point in Scorsese's uh, filmography, in that so after this point he goes and he has his partnership with uh, Harvey Weinstein uh, for two films, and and Harvey Weinstein works very hard at promoting uh, Martin Scorsese as the, the great American film director, you know, who hasn't won an Oscar yet. And that really changes, you know, the way people uh, per, per perceive him um, in some ways for better and in some ways for worse, because every movie after this point, you know, every Scorsese movie after this is, you know, is every, you know, is a Martin Scorsese movie that, you know, a prestige picture that, that is going to go for, uh, you, you know, Oscars, even something like, uh, the, the DiCaprio, uh, Shutter Island, uh, movie, which, hmm. which in, <laughs> in hindsight, you know, is much more genre based. Uh, but, but at the time, you know, just because Scorsese and DiCaprio were, were involved with it, you know, it, it got Oscar talk. And so, yeah, this like it's hard to it's hard to describe to people that this was basically just a that that Scorsese wasn't always seen that way. Uh, he could have movies like like After Hours um, and uh, or or even Kundun, um, you know, movies that were clearly never going to be uh, talked about in terms of. Uh, best of that year or whatever, uh, but we're just, you know, going for, for an American audience of, of some kind. And I think that's what this is. Uh, and uh, I didn't see this until probably about five, uh, four or five years ago. And hmm. the, the reason I finally caught up with it was that people were, you know, what I had heard from people, from friends, was that they this is a film they really loved and, and was a Scorsese movie that, you know, n needed to be seen. And when I finally caught up with it, yeah, boy, I was uh, I was very surprised. And I think the fact that 1999 is such a strong year, you know, is the, that's part of the reason why this got lost in the, in the shuffle. And another part of it is that it's so easy to it's so easy, uh, you know, with Nicolas Cage here, and you've got you know ghosts popping in in different parts of the movie. Uh, it's so easy to write this off as some sort of failed genre experiment. And we talked a little bit about it with Fight Club uh, the other the other day. Uh, the, the Rotten Tomatoes, you know, was starting to become a thing around this time. It didn't really become, you know, popular until the next decade. But uh, my recollection of the reception on this movie is, is that it was very, very mixed and that it ended up being kind of a financial dud because people saw it as, you know, a lesser Scorsese offering. And uh, I'm glad that today it seemed, I, I believe it's been, you know, reclaimed uh, as uh, at this point, uh, maybe not, maybe it hasn't, it's still probably underseen, 
Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad people are, uh, coming around to it, uh, at this point. There, there's so much that I enjoy about it. The, the fact that there's just so few movies that are about, uh, a paramedic's life is, is interesting to me. <laughs> like, like that, that would be a character that you would think would promise, you know, so much drama and, and, and interest, uh, but we don't really see that a whole lot. And I don't know if maybe maybe people don't like confronting the idea of seeing death, you know, day after day after day. Um, even even medical procedural, you know, uh, shows. There's not a whole lot where they focus on uh, on uh, paramedics specifically that I can I think, think it's, of. Well, in this film shows that um, I think it's failure that they're shying away from that there's for the most part there is this sort of janitorial quality to what they're doing mm-hmm, where they're they're, mm-hmm. they're they're coming in to clean up a mess uh and usually it doesn't work out and it seems i, I like the film quite a bit that given the uh, sort of the the structure of it this this three acts these three different uh partners that cage's character is going to ride with uh on on these three different nights that you're going to see uh, various forms of judgment uh, from those partners uh, towards Cage as far as his his attempts to to build himself up uh, to something more than perhaps what he is. Uh, they they seem entirely comfortable, and you could say maybe they're just comfortable with that uh, you know that level of cynicism, uh, or or maybe that's just the way you get through this particular job is you don't see every. Uh, in this case, professional encounter that they're going to have as as that he's going to be some sort of guardian angel or some sort of protector. Uh, and I think that watching it now, you know, I even though I've I've seen it uh, a few times, and uh, I, I always come back to it like wondering like uh, how they're going to handle the Mary Burt character played by Patricia Arquette. Um, and it's it's a delicate balance because there is that sort of like. Um, that sort of like one more, you know, just like a, you know, two days till retirement type thing with, with cage, or if he can just do that, like one good thing. And he, he, he sort of personifies that with, as you do in most movies, a very attractive young woman. If he can play this, some sort of protector role and just like, you know, make sure she's all right. And I really like the film as it, as it continues on, you, you see that she has many layers to her, uh, which sort of throw him off, balance as far as the you know she's not some sort of wounded wounded sad bird whose whose father you know may or may not be moving on that that she has her own other issues aside from that um so that there's just a lot of different things to this that even with our our male lead and at this time i i would i would assume this is probably nicholas cage at his his peak because he's he's transitioning. He's come off an Oscar for leaving Las Vegas, and he's now finding a mainstream like financial success as like an action hero in the in the Rock or Con Air um, face off. Uh, another one that there's it, it's a part that doesn't seem to it seems to fit Cage's sensibilities, but maybe not the expectation that you would have at the time for someone that's like, okay, he made good, he won his, his Oscar and now he's gonna make a lot of money and be an action star to take on a role that is a guy dealing with failing almost every day. Or if he is if he does have some success, uh it's outweighed by the amount of death and sort of uh 
you know, repeated decay that we see with, with these characters who he attempts to set on what he sees as the right path. And, you know, they, they, they fall like regular human beings. They, they fall back into their own, you know, their, their own particular, uh, vices. And I, I think it's a very, it's a very damning film on our, on our male lead. Who's, who's trying to, to be the savior. And that's not, that's not a comfortable set for most people at the movies. <laughs> I do remember the trailer, I think, trying to make this uh, more actiony or flashy in some way, like mm-hmm. making it look like some sort of like drug fueled, like, you know, uh, you know, rock song that Scorsese, some sort of trip he's going to take us on. And it is far more somber. I mean, there are certainly elements of that, uh, but you know, there are long sequences where it is just, uh, a man who is just dealing with the fact that he is somewhat, you know, in the grand scheme of things, inconsequential. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree with everything uh, you've said. And the, there's an energy to the movie that I think, uh, you know, probably doesn't fit into, you know, little 32nd uh, TV spots and everything. The, uh, the, the exhaustion in, in Cage's face uh, of, of, you know, working nights and yeah, encountering death, uh, everywhere that, that he goes and the, you know, I, I, um, I always think to some of my favorite moments in the movie, uh, it's a very quotable film. Uh, I like, uh, our mission is coffee, uh, very much. And that's one I find myself, uh, repeating, uh, quite a lot. Uh, I like the Goodman's, uh, <laughs> he will not uh, be eating like the same thing on like back to back nights. He, will, he has a system in place as far as, you know, what, what his, uh, his meal's going to be, which I, I can respect. And that's what I like. That's what I like about the whole like setting and premise here is that you have to, it, it's, it's just like taxi driver in a certain regard in that you, you sense that, you know, in order to do a job like that in this, in this setting, you know, you have to be a person who's a little bit off in in some regards. And I do think that, you know, is presented. And the sort of just like the everyday grind of, uh, you know, of the announcer coming on here, who who is played by Scorsese himself, uh, telling them to go pick up this uh, one guy who they pick up practically every night uh, to the point where he has a big intro, uh, <laughs> you know, for uh, for for this guy. The energy in the waiting room as well with the security guard who, who you know, uh, who screams out, uh, uh, don't make me take off my sunglasses, which is another one I find myself quoting a lot. Uh, it, it's a film I enjoy a lot, and it's a film I, I, I want would want to revisit a whole lot more. And I think um, at this point in Scorsese's career, he, he really couldn't make another movie uh, like this, like I mean, you know, you you look at the ones from you know they're pretty pretty recent. Um, you know, every everything is very very big uh, and <laughs> in scope, and, and you know something like this, which is you know focused on a handful of characters, focused on a, a you know a working person, uh, you know of lower class and everything. Um, you know, not exactly a list material. Uh, you know. In, in a traditional sense. Yeah. Shutter Island, uh, which you mentioned earlier is probably the closest thing mm-hmm. as far as him. And even that, uh, I mean, I don't remember what the, uh, you know, what the budget was on that one. I remember that one being a, a hit, but I felt like they, uh, to what you were saying, uh, it, it, 
there was sort of like this up in arms element when Paramount decided to move it out of like the Oscar race yeah. and put it as an early, like a February release where it would be more financially viable, but they were totally in the right. They <laughs> were. I mean, they, yeah, they absolutely were. And it was a surprise hit, um, which really kind of established DiCaprio, you know, as someone who, you know, whose name, you know, still mattered in a, in an era where, where, you know, where, where celebrity, uh, bankability of, you know, celebrity names was becoming in question. Um, and so budget was $80 million. So not <laughs> too much, too much not on the cheap for, <laughs> yeah, for that, for that genre. And, that's, fair, and yeah. that, and you know, that's, that's a movie that I think from a production design standpoint is kind of a letdown in certain regards. It, it, it feels very stagey in, in, in and not authentic in, in many, uh, uh parts of it. And, and in contrast to bringing out the dead, which, you know, is let I'm assuming dealing with, you know, shooting on real locations and, you know, using, uh, you know, spaces that are probably traditionally used for, for things like this, uh, you know, that like you can't really, it would be hard to, to, it would be hard to kind of recreate, uh, you, you know, you know, New York urban uh, uh that that new york urban feeling on, on a soundstage you hearing them voices again i just need a drink what, what them voices saying to you they say kill marcus okay <laughs> that ain't funny Frank. look i don't need shock treatments i'm not sick all right i just need a drink okay. six two young answer the radio I have a call for you i can't wait all night young i'm holding a priority and if you don't answer i'm gonna knock you out of service six two young is here baby and I'm going to help you out. Just remember, you owe me. You're going to 370 West 98th Street. 17-year-old female, cardiac arrest, no further information. 10-4, huh? Why is everything a cardiac arrest? What happened to chest pain, difficulty breathing, fractured hands? Yeah, come on, people! Lord Jesus, help me get through the night. Yeah, I, well, I wanted to. I didn't get it in uh, the the jab. Um, I noticed in a previous episode, your the the way you reference uh, Kevin Spacey uh, uh, as as like the, the sort of the one who would not be named or uh, whatever sort of uh, you know Grindel monster name you want to attach to him. Uh, you didn't give with Harvey Weinstein. Uh, which is it's hard because we're gonna, uh, especially when you're doing a podcast now in 2019, uh, the fact of like how much, how much, uh, how many films he had his sort of fingerprints on, in particular this, you know, this time period uh, in the late '90s, going to the early 2000s. But I, I always thought that uh, John Stewart had <laughs> had more of an effect on uh, placing Scorsese, like uh, the, I guess the public shaming uh-huh. of the Academy with his uh, bit. <laughs> well, uh, but, <laughs> but, Harvey, but, Harvey, but Harvey Weinstein, you know, uh, influenced uh, that John Stewart joke like that. You know, he wouldn't have made that joke if it <laughs> About wasn't three, for three six mafia. Uh, yeah. one <laughs> Martin, Martin Scorsese zero, uh, <laughs> which is great. I mean, it's you know, it's a great uh, bit. Nothing against, I guess, uh, uh, what was that? Hustle and Flow, which I've never seen, so I, I can't speak to. Uh, it's a good movie. Um, good movie. Okay. Uh, not um, a bad song. Um, but you know, like to bring it back to the podcast. You know, Martin Scorsese one, uh, Jay Roach two, Joel Schumacher two. <laughs> Uh, you know, so we, I mean, you know, we're kind of guilty uh, of these things as well. 
The, the, I think the the one that I, I saw more recently was uh like did Suicide Squad win for something and or was nominated for something and people were like appalled by this even though it was for like a, a totally like a, for a makeup yeah yeah like <laughs> picking on uh you know poor craftsmen in that area because they didn't they didn't like the uh you know that the film was a whole uh yeah always a good time on the internet um this is but this is one as much as I I adore this movie uh I I do totally understand like if this was you know this is not going to be mm-hmm. uh, the majority of scorsese fans like at the top of their list i do feel like it you know you mentioned taxi driver and it also has that you know the uh, the vibe of after hours as well like you know as far as that same sort of setting and the cast of characters now it's it's put in a more uh i think dramatically sort of compelling um situations as opposed to <laughs> let's let's watch this uh you know twerp uh, take a walk on the wild side and get sort of uh, accosted left and right for it and we're sort of rooting to to see him uh, be accosted i don't think that's ever the case here uh but yeah like you said earlier as far as scorsese like being able to double back and do this i also don't think that this particular content uh would would play uh, in 2019 where i mean that like i don't know like the budget on on this film, which was thirty two million, which was quite a bit less than Shutter Island, um, I you know I don't I, I don't think that they would they would see this sort of character study, this sort of internal monologue that Nicolas Cage is having. First off, Nicolas Cage, I don't think we've really touched on that, but mm-hmm. uh, there's no way like because people would see this as some sort of unfortunately some sort of meme or joke right yeah like <laughs> like they would like they wouldn't like and i wonder now if that's affected this film as well like getting people to watch it if they're looking at it as uh you know something like oh yeah it's another another part where nicholas cage sort of freaks out yeah. and mm-hmm. and they just would never and that's that's really unfortunate uh but also the fact that it's not i believe this is the only time uh that he worked with cage correct that sounds correct, yeah. And and what I, what I like about his performance here is that it it doesn't feel far removed from his talents. You know, there are moments where he gets to do what Cage does best, but the, there's also a lot of a lot of really great silent moments as well. Uh, you you touched on some of these Patricia Arquette scenes. You know, he's very much basically playing like the stoic. Uh, cowboy and, and mm-hmm. you know withholding information from her about her dad and everything which he knows is only going to upset her you know and, and everything and there, there's some there's some really good understated work that you know is different is far removed from like the the b-grade uh nicholas cage or even or even the manic nicholas cage movies that i like like you know bad lieutenant and stuff like that um you know this is a this is a this is a strong uh, cage, the cage is strong with this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's, uh, unfortunately like, you know, he's just as you see a lot of actors, uh, even like De Niro, um, maybe on much lesser scale, but, uh, guys who just like to work, uh, inevitably they're gonna, they're gonna muck up their filmography with a lot of crap at some point if they, if they want to keep producing, you know, three or four films a year that they're involved with. Uh, but I do wonder if this had more of an attachment to uh, like a Scorsese regular, if it would uh, have, if it would be more involved in the the conversation with his filmography, because it, it just feels like where it doesn't have a De Niro or DiCaprio connection. Because uh, you you mentioned that sort of shift, and we're kind of getting into I get I think 
well, the very next one starts the DiCaprio phase of his career, correct? I yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. but, but I mean, we did we didn't see it like that at the time. Like, 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 but I, like I'm wondering now if that's that contributes to it being lost in the shuffle. That it, it just feels like it, it really does feel outside of Scorsese's work because it doesn't have you know he is someone who likes to work with, in particular with the same like leading man Italians. Uh, you know, <laughs> DiCaprio, De Niro, Cage, uh, and Cage. You know, just one and done. <laughs> It's probably the Coppola uh, connection, you know, there's probably, like, he probably, you know, spilled some turkey on him, you know, (laughs) at some Thanksgiving or whatever, and that probably screwed it all up. I did read um, something where Scorsese talked about this being, like, um, like the, the, the least fun. (laughs) <laughs> film he ever made <laughs> but he was he was speaking about it from a practical point of view that you know they're filming in the city and they're only filming nights and he was like you know he just eventually much like i guess the characters themselves like everybody's just getting fucking burnt out of just staying yeah. up all night mm-hmm. shooting in the city but um I, I what do you think has contributed to the uh you know the the sort of reappraisal or the people who really dig this movie why, why do you think they, they stick up for it given the fact that scorsese has such a strong uh, filmography like what is it about this one that people feel the need to like sort of gravitate towards it or just like push it on to other even other Scorsese fans I mean I it, I, I would go back to the energy uh, and tone of it uh, with, you know which is so it's so different than what you would expect uh, you know you would expect something a little bit more uh, uh, plot based and everything uh, something that you know you wouldn't expect that this is going to be Cage dealing with all these various like like the the main one is of course Patricia Arquette's father, but the movie is is mostly compromised of all these different li- little cases that the 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 Cage uh, his character gets sent on, and you don't re- it almost feel it ha- has sort of a weird kind of Kurosawa type type feeling mm. in term in terms of the storyline, uh, and so yeah, I, you you don't expect I guess that kind of story. Uh, with with this setting and with this cast and this director, I think in our previous conversation, which you have no memory of, uh, which means it was a great yeah. podcast, uh, <laughs> I kept going back to the the, the sort of Christmas Carol vibe of him mm-hmm. being visited by these uh, three different personalities. Now, in this version of it, they're they're as they're all reprimanding him, sure, like uh, like that that famous uh, Christmas story. But there's they're also like protecting themselves with that, I guess different degrees of uh, sort of judgment that they pass on the very people they're supposed to be helping. Uh, I would assume Goodman is probably the most realistic in the, in the sense that it's just like, if he can just put in a certain amount of time, he can move on to like a much easier gig, a much less stressful one. Uh, and then of course it eventually will amp up to Tom Sizemore in a very Tom Sizemore part where mm-hmm. he is, actively looking to to punish the the very people that they're uh you know supposed to be saving yeah yeah that's that's terrific as well but i i, I put you more as a bing rang sky myself <laughs> <laughs> somewhere right in the middle <laughs> i but that 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 all of those people contribute to that that energy of it because i don't think you know, it's not like you're ever meeting someone who, uh, on Cage's journey, uh, can be like a healthy sounding board for this man. Like it, it seems like the uh, even when he attempts to quit multiple times, <laughs> you know, his boss is like, "No, no, you're 
you're fine. You're going back out there. And it does seem to be like this, this like task that everyone seems to know, like no one like wants to do this job. Mm-hmm. So, and like, he's just, and he's just perpetually trapped yeah. in yeah. this scenario. <laughs> but they all seem to be like put out in a way like, yeah, we all know this. Why are you bitching about it so much? <laughs> like stop bringing it up and let's get back to discussing, you know, what we're going to have for dinner uh, that night or in Ving Graham's case, you know, that you, you sort of, uh, gravitate towards this, uh, you know, your your spiritual viewpoint of it, which gives you, in my view, some sort of disconnect, some sort of distance from the very real problems that these people are facing, that they're having to uh, to shuffle from one place in the city to the next. And you and you and you know, you start to there's sort of a reliable, unreliable narrator uh, aspect to it. I mean, is it the stress that that he's put? Him, that he's put, you know, put himself under and everything that is causing him to have hallucinations of these things and all that. Uh, you know, I mean, the, there, the, there's a lot of different uh, layers and, and stuff uh, to it. Well, there's, I, mean, I, I will give like a, uh, you know, a, a spoiler, spoiler warning because I believe this is uh, the last line of dialogue or the last conversation they have. So if you've, if you've not seen it, which I think if you're listening to a movie podcast, you probably have, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, the perception still holds true that this is truly like if there can be such a thing as a forgotten Martin Scorsese work, especially one coming out so late in his career, this could be it uh, that, you know, it is verbalized to to Nicolas Cage, his character that, you know, the guilt he carries like no one asked him to, to pick that up and carry that around with him. And there is this sort of masculine pride in that. And like that's like the the way he sort of elevates his his position and elevates himself over the failures that he and his coworkers are going to have is that he feels it more than they do, or at least he thinks that he feels more the shame and guilt about it. And it's, it, it is like a strangely, I think, you know, masculine sort of ego trip that he's on of, of this punishment that I think Scorsese, you know, comes back to a lot. You see it a lot in like the last temptation of Christ as well with the, uh, that, that version of Jesus. And, uh, I, I think that also makes, people uncomfortable when they're seeing they're seeing their lead who they're they're saying is like oh he's he's so much better than goodman or rames mm-hmm. clearly he's better than sizemore um and and having having the characters sort of called out in like the final moments for that um is is it, it is a little bit of a, a slap in the face it's a you know it's a bit of cold water on it but i love it and there's the i i think it's perfect the way they sort of release him of that and that he just you know he just goes to sleep he's just able to sleep like he's just like mm-hmm. he just there's like a strange acceptance of the limitations of his power and control in the world absolutely <laughs> <laughs> i think we're i think we're trying to realize why why uh, i've forgotten that other uh, podcast episode we apparently recorded. <laughs> Look at all the judgment I'm getting for this. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm giving you gold here and just nothing. No, you're doing a great. Back. You're doing a great job. I don't have a, You know, I mean, I, <laughs> I've always thought. I've always thought that someone should take this and turn it into a TV series because I really. This is one of those things where, yeah, to me it is. But you know, I don't know. I guess I mean people look for you know, properties that already, that people already know really well. And I think sometimes <laughs> that is a bad way to do it, you know, because cause, like what, what they should ask themselves is, okay, what kind of character, what kind of world can we revisit week after week after week with endless possibilities? And to me, the idea of a paramedic who, you know, is massively stressed out and on the verge of losing his mind, uh, also having, you know, 
possibly being visited by you know spiritual beings and everything. That's a really interesting idea. Uh, and and it's specifically the the tone and the way it's presented here, uh, I could see that being being popular with people. All right, I think I'm gonna leave it at that because Ben is yeah he's so he's what, ready to to put this on. Uh, uh, well, I, I guess I can't use a Disney Plus gag. I don't know where Paramount is, but they're assuming they're gonna be bought up by Google or Apple at some point. They'll they'll their entire catalog will be on a streaming service. Uh, as you hear that Paramount, is, <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, so as what, for what what's is next? next? I want you to quiz me because you know. Uh, I don't know if this is a quiz that our um, loyal listeners can participate in, but you, uh, inside baseball, you sort of forced this film upon me. Oh my me. god! Come on. Yeah, you forced it upon me, and I can't. Uh, actually, it is totally your fault because you, you, you have to at least when, pretend you haven't seen it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I I wish I could go back. To that point, Ben, um, I, I will go back to a happier time uh, when I adored uh, most of Clint Eastwood's uh, true crime, and uh, I believe it was that in Ed TV that has caused us to add one more film uh, to our our official podcast catalog for this project. Uh, and so this is a story that was uh, made in a film that I much preferred uh, by uh, Steven Spielberg. But it's sort of, you know, I mean, okay, so the movie is called One Day in September. It Uh is a documentary by by Kevin MacDonald, who Mm -hmm. uh, directed The Last King of Scotland and a few other movies. And uh, it won the Academy Award for Best Documentary in the year that, you know, we're covering. So, you know, that that alone, I think, uh, you know, um, justifies its inclusion. In, in 99 from 99. We'll get into that on the next one. Uh, finally, uh, hopefully, I guess a somewhat contentious episode for, for those that like uh, uh, like when one of us is uh, upset or somewhat disagreeable. You will get that on the very next episode. There you go. I'm sure they're just banging at the door for that. <laughs> <laughs> a shout out to uh, Joe North, who I believe is the only one when I these things get routed to my various Facebook pages. He likes it on every every page. He likes like every possible uh, link uh, for these 99 from 99 episodes. I, I get an alert that Joe North is uh, approving of the content. So shout out to him. He, he is he is waiting for this. Joe North, we we salute you. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. And it comes when the evening comes, when the job is done, you'll be over in a shop for years.